The Sunday Review with Tim Graham. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of The Sunday Review. Today we find out about a new kind of holiday dubbed volunteerism, chat to researcher John Dickey from Kew about the 40,000 species of wild plant they've now stored at the Millennium Seed Bank at Wakehurst, and Anne and Ray White are here to tell us about the Greensteed Talking News. Paul Tolmy finds out more about fostering from Dawn Reed at Five Rivers. Carrie Overton discovers how hypnotherapy can be used to uncover past lives with Joe Halcrow. And Richard Leader will be chatting to Adam Grimwood and Roger Smith about a charity memorial football match taking place at the end of April. All coming up in this edition. According to new research from High Life Highland, one in five of us plan to give up some of our holiday time for volunteering this year, with more than one in 20 of us specifically going on a volunteering holiday. To explain more about the latest trend in volunteerism, I'm joined by travel writer, tour guide and part-time curator, Laurie Goodlad. Laurie, welcome to the show. Can you tell us a little bit about what volunteerism is and how it differs from other forms of volunteering? Yes, hi Tim. Thank you for having me. Um, it's it's a it's a fascinating concept, really. Volunteerism. We are all familiar with volunteering, and we know the the hugely valuable contribution that this makes to the kind of local communities, to the local area. But volunteerism is slightly different, and as the the poll carried out by the Spirit of Highlands and Islands project shows, is that six percent, so that's one in every twenty Britons, are planning to travel away from their homes to go on a volunteering holiday. So it's it's about building in an element of volunteering, an element of giving something back while you are on your holidays, and it's 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 just such a fantastic way to get involved in local communities, to get involved in nature wildlife and and just that sense that you're able to to give back and why do you think the scottish highlands and islands in particular are becoming increasingly popular destinations for volunteerists i think that the the region the the highlands and islands it's it, there are so many fantastic opportunities so if we think about the reasons why people visit the highlands and islands they they want to meet local people they want to see beautiful landscapes they want to get immersed in the culture and volunteerism opens all those doors. So volunteerism allows them to, to maybe take part in a rewilding scheme. So over at Dundragon, which is the world's first rewilding centre in the Scottish Highlands, they're pre- preparing to open their doors next month and welcome volunteers and volunteerists in to take part in a rewilding scheme. So that's basically planting native trees and removing non-native species in the hope that that will encourage more wildlife back into the area. So that's just one of the ways that people can visit somewhere that they would probably look to be visiting on their holiday anyway, but it allows them to have an immersive experience while they're there. Now, you mentioned it's a good way to connect with local communities and perhaps learn more about the culture and heritage of a destination, but how can we ensure it has a lasting positive impact on these areas? I think it's it's all about just bearing in mind that that kind of idea of responsible tourism. How can we travel in a responsible way? We know that that traveling um, has a huge impact on the environment. We, it leaves a carbon footprint. And if we can go to a destination and we can do something to kind of mitigate the that carbon footprint that we've created in traveling, then that's a good thing. And and it doesn't have to be spending weeks and weeks on the end of a spade planting trees. It could be something as simple as 
just committing to do a two minute beach clean while you're 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 enjoying a beach walk um it, it doesn't have to be onerous on your time it, you you can kind of make it as much or as little as you want and you can get involved with organizations like-minded people you can um, check out the RSPB who look for volunteers to to ring seabirds to, to do seabird counts in colonies and that there are so many different opportunities for people and it's a it's a great way to just be immersed in in the landscape fantastic now from your own experience and from the research that's been carried out are there particular types of people that are more likely to become volunteerists so it is it is a wide range but generally speaking the majority are younger people who are traveling and again it's that it's that growing awareness of the impact that we have as we move around and it's a it's it's just their way of trying to give back and and just enjoy a deeper experience i think that often when we travel we we go to an area and we just check off the top sites but more and more people are looking to have a different kind of experience and volunteerism really allows them to do that so generally speaking it is it what we're seeing at the moment it does tend to be younger people but this survey that's just come out from the spirit of the highlands and islands project will raise awareness and it um, hopefully will encourage more people of all ages to get involved. So do you have any tips for people who are considering becoming volunteerists, either in the Scottish Highlands and Islands or elsewhere? Yeah, so I think it's just do do a little bit of research before you travel. Um, there's fantastic information on discoverhighlandsandislands.scot. Uh, My Sky Time is a fantastic website that shows opportunities within the island of Sky. I've spoken about Dundragon. There's other um, initiatives such as the Abrechen Forest School. And just look at local news, local media for the area that you plan to visit. Look at the RSPB Facebook page, social media, and just really have a have a bit of a dig around, a bit of a look to see what kind of opportunities there are. I was just having a look before before we came on air today and the Hebridean Whale and Dolphin Trust are looking for an outreach assistant on the island of Mull. And the Whale and Dolphin Conservation Society are looking for shore watch survey volunteers. So again, that's not time onerous. It's just when you're out for a walk, when you're enjoying the coastline, you're scanning the horizon, looking to see if you can find marine mammals. And those are the things that people who are visiting these areas are doing anyway. Brilliant. Sounds like there's something out there for everyone. Laurie, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you very much. And as a reminder, if you'd like to find out more about volunteering opportunities in Scotland, you can visit discoverhighlandsandislands.scot. That's discoverhighlandsandislands.scot. Or you can seek out local Facebook groups for the area you're planning to visit. We'll post a link to the Scotland website on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. Scientists at the Millennium Seed Bank at Wakehurst are celebrating a major milestone, having now recorded over 40,000 different plant species, adding to the collection of 2.4 billion individual seeds. In fact, the collection is now so big, Wakehurst holds the Guinness World Records title for the world's largest seed bank. To tell us more, I'm joined by senior research leader John Dickey. John, welcome to the show. First of all, congratulations on reaching this major milestone. Can you tell us a little bit about what it means to have banked over 40,000 different species of wild plants? 
Hi, Tim, and thanks for asking me on the show. Um, what it means to have banked so many species of wild plants? Well, some of your listeners may remember the Millennium Seed Bank project, which was so generously funded by the Millennium Commission and a number of other major funders in the first 10 years of this uh, century. Um, we, we banked 10% uh, of the world's flora, uh, bankable uh, flora of, of, of seed bearing species. And uh, that was uh, rather over 20,000 species. So we haven't quite doubled it yet, but we're, we're on the way to doubling it. So 40,000 and almost doubling it just seemed uh, a good place to sort of remind people that we're still hard at it and we're making a substantial progress. Fantastic. Now, the seed bank's been described as a Noah's Ark for plants. Can you explain how seed banking helps to preserve rare, threatened and important wild plants? Starting off, for conserving species, the best way of conserving species is always in their natural environment, where they can evolve along with all the other uh, species of plants, animals, and importantly, microorganisms that they live with in ecosystems. That's always, that's, that is the number one way of, of, of conserving biodiversity. Nevertheless, ex situ conservation is a very cost-effective insurance policy. It's a backup, if you like. Uh, and um, seed banking can help in a number of ways. It, it not only does the Noah's Ark thing where you keep uh, a, a sample for a long time uh, as a hedge against extinction, um, it, it allows much more easy access for research, plant breeders, etc. now. So we always try to have collections that uh, are of a suitable size and the agreements with our uh, global partner institutions are such that we can actually share samples uh, for research so people don't have to access things from the wild. You mentioned there about how you work with partners for some of this. What are some of the challenges involved in collecting, drying, storing and preserving these plant seeds? Simply, seed banking at its top level is not rocket science. You're, you're, you uh, dry seeds when they can be dried and you freeze them uh, in, in standard deep freeze technology. And we predict that they will live there uh, for many tens, if not hundreds of years. Challenges are right at the collecting phase where the higher the viability of the collection, the longer it will be have a useful storage life in the bank under those dry, cold conditions. So optimizing the collection time in the field is important. So we work with our partners. We, we don't usually do the collecting. We do that through partners in individual countries uh, in our global network. There are a number of species around the world, some quite important ones, uh, whose seeds cannot be dried. They will, not, they will not survive drying. We call them recalcitrant. We call the ones that you can dry orthodox. The recalcitrant species are going to need quite a lot more of technical input. So... Um, developing methods around cryopreservation of isolated embryos, for example. Kind, that's kind of research we're, we're, we're doing. So uh, as well as conventional orthodox seed banking, we are trying to push the boundaries of ex situ conservation. So that's, that's some of the challenge, a challenge in, in optimizing collection quality and then being able to deal with those species which we cannot put in conventional seed banks.
And how does what you're doing differ from things like gene banks that are also being used to back up domesticated and wild plants? We deal with many, many more species. So a, a, a crop gene bank, like, say, the Rice Research Institute in the Philippines or big international cereal uh, breeding institutes that have their gene banks attached, they are concerned with one species. They're concerned with uh, minute uh, genetic diversity within a species, sort of subspecific uh, genetic diversity, really important uh, sources for plant breeders to be able to get, uh, get at useful traits, disease resistance, uh, resistance to droughts, or maybe salinity, for example, uh, in, in domesticated crops, which of course are highly important for commerce. We operate on the much bigger part of plant diversity. You mentioned earlier that some of the seeds that you have stored are available for research purposes. What are some of the potential benefits that researchers get from studying wild plant seeds? I, I think from the point of view of breeders, it's, it's traits thereafter, sort of breeding resistance. A lot of our, a lot of our users are actually um, much broader than just plant breeding. It's, 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 it's plant research generally, so people will want to access our collections to do genetic work that establishes better the relationships of plants, which are then predictive, that, that also possibly secondary compounds, which might have useful medicinal properties, and also the reintroduction or restoration of species where they have become locally extinct. Why do you think conservation projects such as the ones that you're involved with are essential really for, I guess, future-proofing nature? Put very broadly, if you lose species, you're losing diversity. You're losing, each one of those species through evolution has evolved its own tricks, if you like, or they've become optimized under certain environmental conditions. So if you lose whole species, you're losing a set of tricks that may well be useful. And when they're gone, they're gone. You're cutting off options. And also the general rule is that diversity goes with stability. So once you reduce diversity from ecosystems, they tend more likely to become unstable. And maybe under, for instance, climate change, you may get rapid irreversible changes uh, that ultimately uh, will have their impact on human beings. You know, what we know from, from historical records and archaeology, the kind of changes that happen perhaps in the Indus Valley civilizations with climate change, you've got total environmental and economic collapse uh, uh, and civilization is profoundly affected. So how can we as individuals and perhaps more broadly as communities support not only the work that you're doing but those of others with plant conservation? We've got a fair amount of material out on Q's website. It's referred to by, by others, by links. You can visit the Millennium Seed Bank at, at, at our site at Wakehurst Place near Haywards Heath in, in West Sussex. It's Q's Wild Botanic Garden. And you can walk right into the middle of the building. The public area uh, almost bisects the building. So you can look into what we're up to and why we do it and how we do it and you can see people at work in the laboratory and lots of interpretation about how we do it so if you're lucky enough to be able to travel there i'd recommend it 
And um, if you uh, would like to support us, then um, I'm sure our Q's Foundation would like to hear from you. So as we've mentioned, you've hit the 40,000 mark. What's next for the seed bank? I think I, I mentioned uh, the fact we're still going for species numbers. That, that's still a good thing to be going for. But at the same time, in certain areas, we're pursuing uh, collections, more collections within species that cover their uh, geog total geographic range, the genetic diversity within the species, like the crop wild relatives, like uh, UK native trees, for example. And what we're really seeking now is not just to be thought of as doing some sort of pebble counting, you know, just stamp collecting, collect you know, one of every species till, till they're all done kind of thing. But where can we make most impact with ex situ conservation? So it's going to be hard work for seed banking to help easily with something like, for example, oaks. Your, your, your listeners will be familiar with oaks. The acorns, they cannot be dried, therefore they cannot be frozen. So they're not amenable to conventional seed banking. So looking at where can conventional seed banking make the most impact, which species should we be prioritizing from what places, you know, the places perhaps with the highest biodiversity, that kind of thing. Um, uh, so that's really, we're, we're, we're trying to be more focused in our seed collecting and on our techniques where the details of the techniques we might use, one size doesn't fit all. So how do we learn how to vary our techniques of drying and freezing to, to optimize storage lives so that, so that we've got samples that will stay uh, alive and useful for many tens of years. Uh, you know, a, a sample is not so useful if its viability has declined uh, a long way so that if you're only germinating 20 out of 100 seeds, the 80 that have died in storage, they, what, what genetic diversity they hold that you cannot get back because you cannot raise plants from them, that kind of thing. Fascinating stuff. John, thanks so much for joining us today and telling us a little bit more about the work you do at the Millennium Seed Bank. Thank you, Tim. For more information about the Millennium Seed Bank, the work they do, and how you can visit, go to q.org forward slash Wakehurst. That's q.org forward slash Wakehurst. We'll post a link on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on Facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. Each month, a group of people in East Grinstead record a CD of local news and events for those who are blind and visually impaired or those labouring under temporary or permanent disability, which makes reading a strain. To tell us more, I'm joined by Anne and Ray White from the Greensteed Talking News. Welcome to the show, both of you. Can you explain a little bit about what inspired the creation of the organisation? Well, actually, it, it was a national campaign which was started in the 70s and East Grinstead got involved in 1977 and the first uh, Grinstead Talking News tape was posted on, on Friday 9th of June 1978. And um, basically since then, apart from three months during lockdown, we've provided this service for listeners continually and in fact our next edition will be our 2143rd. In the early days, articles were read directly from local newspapers in our studio, um, but now we don't really have a dedicated East Grinstead newspaper as we once had. So basically, this is a way of helping our listeners to keep abreast 
of what's happening in the area where they live. So how do you go about sourcing the news and events that you include in each of the recordings now then? Well, we, we search for items of local interest from online papers and websites. Uh, these could be items about local residents, local history, council decisions and outcomes, public information, clubs, sport, entertainment. Basically, the, the typical items that you would find in a local newspaper. And we only use material which is already in the public domain. We don't include personal opinions uh, from social media or anything like that. That's quite an undertaking. What roles do your volunteers play in putting together each edition? We have four teams uh, involved in preparing the, uh, the, the reading. We have a small team of editors who do the sourcing that Anna's just described to you. We have a group of readers who actually read the script on the evening of the recording. Um, some recording engineers, uh, they're the guys who, uh, who actually record the script and then deal with the editing and uh, tidying up of everything. And finally, there's a group of uh, duplicators and distributors. They're the people who take the master CD and produce the copies that are sent out to the listeners. Uh, they, they put the copies in the envelopes that are provided and bring them down to the post office. So as well as the regular news and events recording that you produce, do you do any specials at all? Yes, we. that's one thing that the listeners would be quite keen on, to have more interviews with, with, with um, uh, local people. And uh, we did have one interview with our local MP, Mims Davis, who came to the studio, I think it was in October last year, yes. and uh, she, we interviewed her on, on her, you know, basically her life as an MP, and uh, that, that went out as a supplement to the, the, the normal recording. And uh, that was very much welcomed. So certainly any local personality or of person of interest, we would love to include an interview. So as you mentioned earlier, this service has been running for over 45 years. What sort of response do you get from your listeners? Um, well, we do have uh, a lady who's in charge, who's responsible for listeners. And uh, from time to time, uh, she does get some feedback about whether they've enjoyed a recording or an article that they've particularly enjoyed. Um, we do have on the committee a listener representative. And uh, in fact, we're hoping to have two listener representatives uh, this year. And if there's anything about the recording that they feel is relevant, um, they'll bring it up uh, to us either in the committee meeting or in between. And um, yes, we, we, we feel that uh, the recordings go down with our listeners and we, we, have, we, we think they're fairly satisfied with what we do. Fantastic. Now, I guess over the years, it's not all been plain sailing. What are some of the challenges that you've faced? Well, I think really the fact that the demise of, of local newspapers, um, we, we, we do have um, the Observer and the Courier, but they tend now to report on articles not within this particular area, which is really what prompted us to think about how can we get some news that that's really applies to where we live and, and uh, our community. 
um that that's certainly been a challenge and that's why we we switched to um monthly readings because uh be before that it was weekly because we had physical newspapers to actually read from uh, which we did effectively as the newspaper came out so we, we've had to change all of that um and the other thing of course was lockdown which we couldn't access our studio um and that was a real challenge and in fact um we we didn't produce uh the uh, the news uh, for three months while we debated what can we do how, how can we solve this issue without access to the studio and the recording uh, equipment so therefore that's that's why we ended up um uh, during lockdown lockdown by zoom only and now we've got a kind of hybrid operation going on where we tend to still stick with Zoom because during the winter months that's been appreciated by our readers. Um, so we're kind of um, half the year using Zoom and the other half back in the studio, but we hope eventually to get back into our studio for all monthly readings. Now, it sounds as though what you currently do is very well received. Is there anything additional that you'd like to do if you had more resources or more volunteers? Obviously, if there was um, more access to uh, to a dedicated local newspaper, um, we we may be able to move forward to twice a month, for example. Of course, if we did that, we would also probably be uh, putting out an appeal for a few more volunteers in the uh, in, in in the roles that, that we have here that that I mentioned to you earlier. The the other thing um, are we have a very small committee. And this year, our chair had been serving for, I think, five or six years as chair, and she decided the time had come for her to step down. Since then, we haven't been able to find anyone who would be prepared to step up and, uh, and, and chair the committee and help and coordinate the activities. Um, everyone on the committee is already a serving member on one of the active teams, so um, the I would I would appeal to anyone listening who thinks they may like they may like to contribute to the uh, to the Greensteed in an organisational role, uh, get in touch please because we would love to have you. So actually, just on that then, if people would like to offer their services or if they just want to receive a copy of the monthly CD, what's the best way to get in contact with you? Well, first of all, uh, just just to emphasise that this, uh, everything we do is free of charge and listeners don't have to be referred by uh, a GP or social services or anything like that. They can just get in touch with us um, or get a relative uh, to contact us on their behalf. Um, we've got about 40 listeners at the moment, but we really would be happy to, to have, uh, you know, much more than that. So if, if you know of anyone who would benefit from this free service, uh, you can give us a call or send us an email and we'll be happy to help. Um, the person to call, uh, if, if you're a potential listener, is Christine. Uh, she is listener liaison and her number is 01342 Or you can email our post box, that's if you're a listener or volunteer, which is greensteed, G-R-E-N-E-S-T-E-D-E dot T-N at gmail.com. 
That's great. Anne, Ray, thanks so much for joining us today and telling us more about this vital service. You're welcome. It's lovely to talk to you. Yeah, it's a, it's a pleasure, Tim. If you'd like to receive the Greensteed Talking News each month, you can call Christine on 01342 325 823. That's 01342 325 823. Or you can email your request to greensteed.tn at gmail.com. That's G-R-E-N-E-S-T-E-D-E dot T-N at gmail.com. That email address can also be used if you'd like to volunteer or contribute in any way to the Talking Newspaper. We'll post all the details on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on Facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. Earlier this week, Paul Tolmy spoke to Dawn Reid from Five Rivers Fostering about the shortage of foster carers, both nationally and here in the East Grinstead area. We know that the people of East Grinstead and Felbridge and Ushers Wood and all the areas it covers have big hearts and we wanted to come and talk to you about fostering and tell you what fostering is, what that looks like, how you become approved as a foster carer and a bit about Five Rivers. And also you you said you wanted to do some myth busting. I absolutely want to do some myth busting. So some people do know a little bit about uh, fostering but Mm. you know I just wanted to answer some myths some common myths so take us through the process then so there's a there's a child or children that need fostering Um, what happens yeah so what so what is fostering basically fostering is when you care for a child or children to buy them with a safe and stable home and it might be because the child um, can't live with their family for a short time or a longer time sometimes some of the children have experienced trauma or they've been separated from their families. Other times, you know, it might just be for a very brief period of time, such as one week while mum has to go to hospital for an operation and there's no one to look after the child. Or it could be all the way from, you know, up to 18 years old. So sort of respite type. Yeah, we have, we have respite. Yeah. Um, so we have long-term fostering, short-term fostering, lots of different opportunities, fostering that you can do alongside work. And at the moment, we need um, 9,300 foster families across the UK so we really need foster families to come forward and you you sent me that massive plethora of information which was which was really great and it was fascinating actually reading through it and I didn't realize that you could only be renting and you couldn't still foster people absolutely you don't have to own your own home you can be in rented accommodation yes there's lots of myths like that about fostering such as well people think you often have to be married you don't you can be single you can be a same-sex couple People think you have to have loads of experience working with children. You don't. When, you know, while that's helpful, it's more important to have the right qualities to be a foster carer um, rather than specific qualifications. Because people probably think there's quite a rigorous process to go through, and obviously there is, but it's not. It's, it's perfectly simple. And so would you work with families to... Obviously, you'd have to put them into the right family grouping. That's right. So what does that manifest into? What, well, what would be the process? We provide the training, support and assessment to get anyone ready to foster children that wants to be a foster carer. It takes about four to six months to become a foster carer. During that time, you undergo a background check, DBS, mm. as well as compulsory training. You'll have regular meetings with myself or a social worker in the Sussex area to think about that child's experience and what that my, that child might be in care you get a good understanding of what it means to be a foster carer and what the role entails, what meetings you might have to go to. And then at Five Rivers, we provide a 24-7 support, mm. market-leading training, enhanced allowance, um, and lots of opportunities to progress. 
But we do have a, a central criteria, whether that's whether you foster for five rivers, which is social enterprise or the local authority, it's the same, is that you must be aged over 21 years and over, British citizen, right to remain in the UK and have at least one spare bedroom, depending on the number of children that you fo- want to foster. So do you go along to their home and then assess it or check, or check, check it for its suitability for the... Absolutely. Yeah. So if you are, if someone was listening today and was interested and in thinking about fostering, they can give me a call or a care inquiry team a call and we would come out and do a home visit and have a chat with you and meet you in your home and explain the whole process more in detail. So it's not a case of that you're, you're then given a foster child or, or person and then just left. No. You're, you're, there, all the, you're yeah. there all the time. You can be, you're contactable. And then if there's a problem, then, then, then it can Absolutely. be resolved pretty swiftly. So it takes four to six months to get approved. And during that time, that is the preparation to get ready to receive that child. Mm. And then once you are approved, we are there every step of the way to support you, um, to activities, any you know listening ear, uh, foster care support groups. We support you on that journey with the child. But what we're kind of looking for is people who are kind of kind, empathetic, nurturing, reliable, mm. organised. Good sense of humour is really important. A good role model, life experience, um, and also open to further training in areas that you might need to develop. Because perhaps you know you might be recently retired, and now is the time that you have you know space in you your home. You can commit to it, and yeah. yeah, and your and your life. And but maybe you haven't parented. You know, like myself, my children are older at university for a number of years, and you know some parenting techniques have changed, and we would help you with you know. Maybe refresh your parenting skills, your first aid skills, anything that you might need. But you need to be open to that. Yes, of course. As well. No, it's, it's it's fascinating because I think people people readily want to help, but maybe they just feel that they're not in that position to do so. But you can you can tell them actually, look, you know what? We've we've looked at this, and you are you're perfectly able to. Absolutely, we would work with you together. So, you know, if there is any gaps in your knowledge or learning, that's what the four to six month process is for, to help you to get ready to fill any gaps. But like I said, it's not about qualifications. It's about qualities and character traits. You know, if you are kind, empathetic, good role model, life experience, good sense of humour, that you have those qualities and you have a spare bedroom and you want to help children in this area um, have a you know stable home, please do get in touch with us. So the person in question goes through the training, they've got the green light, you're good to go. What happens then? What happens then is we work together to match you with a child that, um, you know, maybe you've got similar interests, maybe you really, um, you know, like a particular football team, mm. and we might have a child that has that particular interest, or maybe you have a particular faith that you practice, uh, maybe you follow Islam or Christianity, and we have children of all faiths um, that and none that are looking for homes, and we match upon you know what age group that um, fits in with what you're looking for, and also what the child's interests are. When the situation comes that they are looking after them, you're all the, you're there all the time. Yeah. You're, you are literally contactable all the yeah. time. Not me all the time. No, no, of course. <laughs> you're on the phone every yeah, 24 hours, 24-7. Yeah, but our um, agency has a 24-7. If I'm not available, another mm. member of our team is available. And outside of working hours, we have a phone number that you can call for help and advice and support. We're there to help you along the way when that child's in your care. Work together. We're a team. You know, We're here to support you. Because it's a massive commitment. 
it, it is a massive commitment, but also it's it's not a massive commitment. If yeah. you might only want to foster perhaps, um, you know, for respite or short term, if you might only want to do a few weekends a year or a few weekends yeah. a month. For example, we have a foster carer who works full time as a teacher and she fosters a few weekends a month for children with disabilities. Oh. And um, we have another family that, you know, they work and they do respite for the foster carers. So there is that chance, mm. you know, to fit in as well with around your lifestyle and your existing commitments, as well as the opportunities to have children, you know, young children all the way through to 18 or teenagers, whatever area, you know, children you're, you're interested in, although it's a good match. But going through that four to six months, that process helps you think about what age children would be suitable for you and your household and your lifestyle and your existing commitments what time whether you can do full-time fostering or short-term fostering but we're looking for all types of foster carers and then the, the 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 child in question will be put to someone suited to their needs as well as the foster carer themselves that's absolutely right yeah. yes we match according to what the child needs and with the foster carers and it might be that sometimes that you know it's for a temporary period of time like i mentioned earlier my mum's going to hospital for an operation and there's no family members around it might be that the child eventually gets adopted it might be that the child goes back to their family uh, it might be that you have the child you know to 18 and beyond well wow. so there's all these opportunities that's available to fit in with around whatever the people you know um, interested applicants their lifestyle and the commitments that they have so so how do people get in touch with five rivers give us a call have an informal chat okay you can go to our website which is www.5five-rivers.org you can call 030-818-5464 030-818-5464 you have nothing to lose and you're not applying by phoning up and you know give us a call about your specific circumstances and, you know, we can have a chat with you in the first instance. You're not committing by giving a call. Just give us a call and find out more. And, you know, if you can help, we would absolutely love to hear from you. If you have these qualities that we're looking for, you're over 21, you're a British citizen or a right to remain in the UK, you have a spare bedroom, you are kind, empathetic, good role model, you know, please give Five Rivers a call. We absolutely would love to hear from you. Dawn Reed from Five Rivers explaining the fostering process to Paul Tolmy. To find out more about becoming a foster carer, visit 5-rivers.org, that's F-I-V-E-R-I-V-E-R-S.org, or you can call 030-818-5464, that's 030-818-5464. We'll post all those details on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on Facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. On Wellbeing Weekly on Tuesday, Carrie Overton spoke to hypnotherapist Joe Halcrow, who uses her skills to help people uncover their past lives. It's about brainwaves and a relaxed state of mind, and everybody goes into that state of mind at some point during the day. When we fall asleep at night, as we sort of settle down and our brain goes into those brainwaves, that's the same brainwave that you do when you use hypnosis. So... Nobody is in a trance. No one can do what they don't want to do. I can't hypnotise my husband to do the washing up because if I could, I would do that all the time. So um, you, you can't make somebody do what they don't want to do. It's just a relaxed state of mind. It's the same as using meditation. Right. It's exactly the same feeling. You're in absolute control 
you're just you've got your eyes closed you're relaxing and you're just answering questions so you go into your subconscious mind you're you're trying to trick your conscious mind into thinking it's asleep basically right and the subconscious mind then is accessing memories is it sort of like driving or yes and you sort of suddenly think gosh yeah. I don't know exactly I, I don't that. really remember being here because yeah. you've been sort of almost in another part of your mind exactly and you know that. that you're you have been driving yes is it that sort of thing it's exactly that that's that's why I say everybody can be hypnotized even people that go no I can't they can because you're doing that several times a day you know when you stare out the window and you suddenly think oh gosh I've got to get on yeah that it's just that it's exactly that and how, because I, I sort of can imagine how you do that when your brain just naturally takes you there. Yeah. How do you get people to relax enough? Because I think I would fall into the, oh, I'm really tense and I'm really aware. How, how yes. do you even get people to the point where they're relaxed enough to so let their mind drift So off? you're using your voice. You're getting them to focus on your voice. You're getting them to close their eyes. So when we close our eyes, we automatically, hopefully, relax. Mm. So it's about going through that process of getting someone relaxed. They're listening to your voice. You lower your voice. It becomes quite monotone, so probably a bit boring. Yeah. <laughs> so people kind of go into that really um, relaxed state of mind. So that's basically how it works. Some people, the first time they do it, they're, they're overthinking it and going, I'm not sure, I'm not, in, I'm not in a trance, this isn't working. So you've just got to trust the process and just go with it. And do people fall asleep sometimes? Not, not really, because I'm asking questions. Right. When I was training and I was practicing and I practiced on my husband, he did fall asleep right? and he was actually snoring. <laughs> so um, I had to wake him up. So I stopped practicing on him. But in the main, no, because people, they specifically want to see and experience their past life. So I'm asking questions constantly. They're responding to those questions. You remember everything. So you're, you're conscious, but relaxed. Right. And so how do you even begin training in hypnotherapy so I just found a course there are lots and lots of courses mm. out there um, you can do online courses I done a face-to-face -face course mm. um, I didn't have a background in that I was just interesting interested in it actually I done it because I wanted to learn it for myself because I wanted to lose weight so I right. thought it was quite a good way of doing it um, so that's why I initially trained to and, do it and you look very slim oh, so did it work uh, no the no. weight lost it I, because we covered everything and as soon as I started doing it and the regression came up, I was like, actually, I want to go in that direction. Mm. So I kind of left the hypnotherapy behind. So how does hypnotherapy work with regards to things like weight loss? Because um, people are suggestible. So you could say to them, for example, someone that eats lots of sugar. So maybe you really like um, chocolate. You can do it in several ways. You can get them to um, even the smell of chocolate makes them feel um, sick so that they don't want to eat it. So it's about changing the state of mind, really. It's, it fascinates me as a topic. Ha had you been hypnotised before you started doing the course? No, no. And have you been hypnotised 
now yes absolutely yes because yes. when we were training you're practicing on each other yeah um so and it's strange at first because I was the same I was like I don't know if I, this is right do I am I hypnotized is this how it's meant to feel but you soon get into it and realize yes it's exactly right and is there I mean I guess in the wrong hands hypnotism could be quite well, no, because the person remains, your client remains in control. Right. So you can't make them do anything they don't want to. Um, so uh, you obviously want someone that's trained in it mm. and that have done a really good course that's accredited. Right. Um, so if you're looking to do hypnotherapy, it's great for helping with phobias, stop smoking, all that kind of mm. stuff. It works so well. Mm. So I would highly recommend it, but definitely look at what training the person's done. Mm. And so you said about regression. So yeah. at first it, you looked into regressing people back to a specific point within their, she was yeah. their current life. Yes for clarity within their current life where potentially there was a trauma or an incident that was causing them to have problems yes. in their yeah. modern day yes yeah, so so how does that how does that work so you're regressing you're saying we're going to go back to the root cause of say for example a spider phobia mm. which is quite common mm. um and you count them down and say we're going to take you back to when this phobia first started you count down from five to one when i get to one you're going to be at that scene where this started and you count them down and they're there and they see themselves as a child, you know, um, with their mum screaming at a spider in the bath. And then they think that's something to be scared of. So that's how that regression in hypnotherapy works. What happens if people don't remember? I mean, why they're why they're scared of something or why something is happening does is that where the hypnotherapy gets into the subconscious yeah, the subconscious mind, mind remembers everything right. so they do they do go back to the reason why so some people are surprised by it when i was training actually i was terrified of flying and i went back to a scene when i was six of being in an airplane air um i was traveling with my family to go and see family in south africa and um, some luggage fell down on top of me. Now, I didn't consciously remember that. And I thought I've made that up. And I checked with my mum and she went, no, that did happen. Wow. So, yeah, we do remember. And then what happens once you've, once, so once you've identified, for example, that the reason for your fear is that this luggage fell on you, then yeah. how does therapy, how does hypnotherapy fix well, that? Well, because you're, you're, your mind is trying to protect you. That's its job. So you're going to be scared of flying because you don't want that trauma to happen because right. it's frightening for a six-year-old to have luggage suddenly fall on you. So you're just working with that person, recognizing that's where it came from. You were six years old. Of course, you were scared, but you're an adult now. You can leave that behind and move forward. Now you understand where that's come from. So you do that kind of work with them. It's like coaching in a way mm. around what happened and allowing them to move forward. I was going to say that's quite a sort of therapy. That's where the therapy part of it comes exactly. in, that it is the sort yes. of working around and rationalizing yes. and normalizing yes. and then being able for the person in their current life, I suppose, to then be able to say, oh, that makes sense now. And I don't have to protect myself from that exactly. anymore. And so now we move on to the area of past life regression now when I told people um who was coming on this week and what the subject matter was it was absolutely equally split between 
half of the people going, oh my goodness, what an amazing, fascinating topic. I can't wait to hear it. And other people who just sort of said, oh my goodness, what a load of nonsense. <laughs> and is that something you encounter a lot? Yes, absolutely. A lot of people say, no, that's a load of rubbish. It's just people's imagination. It's not true. Why would you do something like that? And then other people are like, I, I'm desperate to get it done. I can't wait to know who I was and what happened in a past life. So I get that all the time. So tell us, how does it work? What happens? When I first started doing it, I'd done it with a really open mind. I was like, I'm not sure if this is true or not, but I'm so fascinated by it. I want to give it a go. And honestly, after the first time I practiced it, I was like, this is, this is absolutely true. The reason I say that is because people haven't got such an incredible imagination because of the details that come up in the sessions. There are so many details. No one could make it up and it flows. I'm asking questions constantly. And what did they say? What are they saying now? What are you doing? Where are you? What does it look like? And they're answering like a normal conversation. They could not make it up. And a, a lot of my, the majority of my clients are really visual. So they've got their eyes closed, but they're actually seeing it. Right. So they can see it, feel it, hear it. So they're fully immersed in that past life. So what happened? You said that first time. Yes. You were like, this is this is definitely yeah. real. What happened? So what happened was um, I was practicing and I asked my mum if I could practice on her. So she was like, yeah, of course, you know, I'm interested. I'm not sure she believed it at the time. So um, I practiced on her and she went back. And she not only could she see the life, she she really was fully immersed in it. And she went back to the 1800s and she was on stage singing. <laughs> and um, she she went back to being um, a singer in the, that time. We And she explained what she was wearing. She said she had this lace corset on. She had this umbrella, you know, um, parasol I suppose um and she said that she was singing the king was there watching her and she was like um something to do with a cockney singer I can't re even remember who it was I should have looked that up actually um anyway afterwards we looked it up and it was a real person and she did sing for the king and the dates were all perfect spot on wow had your mum heard of this singer well, before? I asked her straight after I said had you heard so she said I have heard of her but I know nothing about her, absolutely nothing. But we went, you go to scene to scene. So we went back to her childhood, what happened in her childhood. So we covered loads of stuff, stuff that she had no idea about. And that when we researched was true. Wow, that's a, that is quite amazing. And she could, and so you, those, all those events that you looked up factually matched up. Yes. And so I guess even if your mum had heard of, you know, a, yeah. an old time musical singer, she wouldn't have known dates or anything no. like that. No, so all the dates added up the fact that she sung for the king, um, you know, lots of, and, and what she was wearing. We found some old photos of her wearing exactly what my mum had explained. And when your mum saw those photos, yeah. what impact did that have on her? Well, she was like, that's who I saw. That's <gasps> who I was. Joe Halcrow talking there to Carrie Overton about using hypnotherapy to uncover past lives. You can hear the whole interview on our website at meridianfm.com. Just click on Listen Again from the on-air menu.
We'll post a link on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on Facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. On the Junior Sports Breakfast Show last Saturday, Richard Leader was joined by Adam Grimwood and Roger Smith to talk about the Reesewood Memorial Football Match that's taking place on Saturday the 29th of April here in East Grinstead. It's all in memory of our late great friend uh, Reese Wood, a local lad who uh, tragically passed away October 2021 and he was a huge keen uh, footballer, mm-hmm. well known in the local community. So uh, this is the second match that we've done in, in his name and this is the first time we've had real time to organise it properly. So Roger has been excellent, he's secured East Grinstead Town Football Club's ground. Mm-hmm. Touch wood, uh, <laughs> subject to them not getting in relegation playoffs, which we're confident the Wasps what, we? won't get no, in the relegation no, 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 playoffs. They're, they're all right. They're so all we'll right. be cheering them on today. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah so it's all in, 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 in Reese's memory. Um, but the family really want the money to go to two great causes, which is uh, the Martlets Hospice down in Hove and something called the Cure CJD campaign, which is Kreutzfeld Jakob disease, mm. which is, as I understand, it's form of sort of early onset dementia yeah. which the family is also uh, touched by um so the proceeds of everything we raise on the day will go towards those two charities amazing amazing so what's happening on the actual day itself we've got it's, it's more than just a football match right well we're going to start off with a uh, kids penalty shootout excellent against a very legend goalkeeper in myself <laughs> <laughs> being an ex east grinstead town goalkeeper and obviously reese played since youth all the way through terrific player terrific goal scorer Everyone knew him in the town. Um, then we'll play the match, which is a mixture of um, East Grinstead Town players and FC Railway, mm-hmm. which he played for both teams. Okay. So his family and friends will be in the team. And then we've got a massive raffle and auction, which Adam will tell you about all the great prizes. <laughs> well, absolutely. I mean, the local community and you know national football clubs and everything up and down the country have really been amazing <laughs> in supporting us. We got some fabulous items. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had a, a round of golf donated with Lee Dixon and David Seaman is probably the star item. Amazing. If you're an Arsenal fan, so they'll <laughs> they've donated that. They'll take you out for eighteen holes and and give you lunch and tell them stories about Ryan Giggs ripping through them. Probably. <laughs> uh, uh, but we've also got amazing sort of signed uh, Chelsea football, signed mm-hmm. Man United shirt, uh, all donated by the club. We've got signed. Uh, Crystal Palace staffs, uh, Declan Rice. Roger's got a signed West Ham shirt off him. Loads and loads of stuff. Um, uh, Tyson Fury. Tyson Fury gloves signed. Yeah, beautiful uh, presentations, signed Tyson Fury gloves. So we've got some amazing stuff. Ideally, if people could look up the Reese Wood Memorial Match on Facebook, it's it's a public event. So have a look on that and people can bid online. But most importantly, we'd really like it to be like a celebration of, of, of Reese and mm-hmm. you know if the whole community could turn up at East Grinstead Town on, on Saturday the 29th we want it mm. to be it's not just an auction either there is raffle as well so there's <laughs> lots of raffle prizes so don't yep. feel that you have to take lots of money to auction there is good, some brilliant raffle prizes as well yeah and no, I was just looking at brilliant raffle prizes and it's a quid a strip right so uh, anyone can anyone yeah. can take part there's in that. even a holiday so to win in absolutely. it, it? Yeah, for a quid so yeah. that's yeah. not bad yeah. that's not bad um how much is it going to be to get in on the day we're not actually going to charge for the day it's going okay. to be a donation so okay. whatever you feel we're going to have people on there with buckets feel free to donate what you can excellent excellent and you know in in the, the way things are today and you know a lot of families are feeling the pinch um they can come along and, and they can pay what they can afford and, and do it 
marvellous stuff, marvellous stuff. Uh, this is sounding really, really awesome. Saturday 29th of, of April, and it's the Reesewood Memorial Match. So remind us how we can find out about this on Facebook. On Facebook, yes. If you go to the event, um, the Reesewood Memorial Match, mm -hmm. or even just look to friend myself or, or Roger, Roger Smith, yeah. Adam Grimwood, you'll probably find us. And we have shared the event on things like what's happening in yep. East Grinstead and East Grinstead Dads and East Grinstead and Felbridge community. So if you have a little rummage around there, then hopefully you can find us and click on. And click also on the a lot of local shops and businesses have put posters up in their windows. So feel free to look at them. Um, and um, we're going to I think we're going to try and get um, uh, you or a couple of your colleagues in on the Tuesday night sports show at some point. Well, we're well, hoping so. to get Chris, which is Reese's brother. OK. And actually Reese's mum wants okay. to come. So right. that'd be absolutely super. We'll, we'll see if we can uh, we can get them in. Um, but the, the big day to put in your diary is Saturday, 29th of April. So right at the end of April. Um, and it's a 2 p.m. kickoff. Yep. One yep. o'clock. Yep. One doors. o'clock doors open. Penalty shootout for the young kids at 1.30. Um, and the bar will be open. And the bar, and cake, <laughs> stall and 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 cake stall and burger bars. So, and then uh, I also see ending up uh, the railway. Well, for those travellers <coughs> who want to carry on, you we can always go on to the railway. <laughs> the railway but we've, up, we've yeah. got the clubhouse for a couple of hours after the match, where we'll uh, draw out the raffle yeah. and the auction sure, and stuff and like that. Adam Grimwood and Roger Smith in conversation there with Richard Leader. If you'd like more information about the Reesewood Memorial Football Match and the great causes they're supporting, you can find the event on Facebook. And that's it for the latest edition. We've got all the information on the features you've heard today on Twitter at SundayReview107 or on facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. I'll be back on air next Sunday morning from 10am on 107 Meridian FM or on meridianfm.com or you can download the latest podcast. Until then, take care and have a great week ahead.